0: Three minutes more of caffeine. What could be better? Welcome back, Peter and Jessica. What time did you get in? 2 a.m. All right. So that smile is frozen on your face, eh? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, <clears throat> We are going to uh, launch into a series called A Good and Beautiful Year. And uh, Wade, why don't you come on up and pray over me. Let's pray together. Give our time in the scriptures to the Lord. It's, we don't need a great teacher. We need great teaching. And we always have that in the Bible. We always have that in the scripture. So we're going to be okay. But it's good to pray. <laughs> All right. So, Lord, thank you uh, so much for Gordy. Thank you for a new year and for new starts um, and for your grace uh, that we can look forward to a good and beautiful year as we are led by you. And um, what you desire for us is everything uh, everything uh, that's good and perfect is a gift coming from our Father up above. And I just ask that you'll speak through Gordy uh, to us today in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, mate. So, yeah, my, my goal is to today lay out a little bit for you some clarity. Uh, you've, probably if you're part of our church, uh, you've heard different rumors about a pastoral sabbatical. And, and uh, a number of you were still here the last time uh, we took a sabbatical, which was in 2004, about 11 years ago. And uh, it was three months, and uh, my son-in-law and daughter uh, were interim pastors uh, during that time with, along with our leadership team. We had a very strong leadership team, uh, which again we do now. We have a wonderful leadership team uh, along with Joanna and Wade, and so uh, we've been discussing and planning for uh, a sabbatical. Normally, we do this about every seven years. It's been 11 years and there are some reasons for why we, why we waited. Some of it had to do with uh, my involvement with the national team, the Vineyard National Team and the Vineyard Regional Team. And just timing-wise, uh, some things weren't all that great. So, so we, we waited, but my sense has been over the last year that it's getting to that time. Uh, it's not out of panic or crisis. It's not because I'm burnt out or tired or grumpy or mad or sick or anything like that. It's an act of obedience, that's all. It's, in some ways, it's preemptive, perhaps, of all those things, right? So, um, uh, sustainability. Let me, first of all, in, in talking about a good and a beautiful year, a call to Sabbath rest. Sustainability, I believe, is really an issue of our time in our culture. Our lives as uh, people, as humans, as, as Christians included in that, has become very much unsustainable in our culture, financially, physically, emotionally. We're living beyond our means. We're spending more than we take in. And one of the ways that this is really showing up is in the area of sleep deprivation. We're a sleep-deprived culture. Right, Jessica? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just picking on you this tonight. Um, so to sustain our health, we need eight hours of sleep a night. We need to spend at least one-third of our lives sleeping. We need to spend at least one-third of our lives doing absolutely nothing in order to be sharp mentally, physically, emotionally. And, of course, if you're not well physically, it affects you spiritually. You're not going to pray well if you're not well physically. You're not going to read the scriptures well. You'll probably come up with some good heresy if you're not well physically. Did you know that more people are killed every year more by drowsy drivers than by drunken drivers? Think about that. Who? Texting drivers. Texting drivers. Experiment. They did an experiment allowing uh, people to... Uh, they took a group of people. I would have loved to have been part of this experiment. And they, they took a bunch of people and they gave them a... Uh, they allowed them to sleep as long as they wanted to sleep. And uh, <clears throat> they found that people were sleeping about an eight and a half hour average per night. And the result was they were happier, less fatigued, more creative, more productive, and energetic. Sleep is an act of surrender. If you think about it, none of us can make ourselves go to sleep, you know, unless you do it artificially, of course, with drugs. But, but, naturally speaking there's nothing you can do to will yourself to sleep all you can do is create the right conditions and for me I've learned that if I don't go to bed to bed properly I don't sleep well so even the preparation time before sleep is is critical Uh, and that has to do with what you eat what you drink what you watch what you're connected to you know what last annoying email you read all those things right So all that to say is that we are a culture that does not understand how to rest. Jesus, one of his primary calls to discipleship was, come unto me all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's that's a clarion call that the call to discipleship is a call to rest. It's counterculture in our time. And so, rest is so important in God's economy that in Israel's uh, structure, God told them that they were even to give the land a rest. The land that they tilled and harvested and raised crops in. That once every seven years, God said, give it a rest. No crops. No harvesting. Just let the weeds... Let the weeds grow. Just don't even till the soil. Just leave it alone. Every seven years in Israel's history. Let's read the text together from Leviticus chapter 25. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. Interesting, eh? For six years sow your fields, For six years, prune your vineyards and gather crops. So before I read on, three things. Sow seed, prune the vineyard, and gather in a crop. Verse 4. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. So those three things, sowing, harvesting, and even pruning, they were to refrain from in the seventh year. By the way, the word Sabbath is the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means stop. You just stop. We are a culture that does not know how to stop. Now, let's read on. Verse 5. Next slide. Do, you, do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Verse 6. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your male and female servants, and the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land, Whatever the land produces may be eaten. So they could treat their, um, their, their crops like a grocery store, but not as a harvestable, producing, economically profitable en- enterprise. So they could use it for the food, but not for uh, economic enterprise. So it's, it's, an, it's an agricultural fact that this practice is actually good for the soil. The soil is restored and revitalized. When you allow weeds to grow, untended during that seventh year, it brings minerals in the soil to the topsoil to enrich it. When you allow the vines and the figs to grow freely without pruning them, it renews their vitality. The soil is so regenerated that it greatly reduces, this is a fact, it greatly reduces, you know why we have so many herbicides and pesticides? It's because we don't follow this practice. You don't need that with the Sabbath, or it's greatly reduced. So the question is, well, what do we do then? How, what about provision? What about food? Well, look at God's promise. Verse 18, a little bit later in this chapter, God says, "...follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws, and you will live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and live there in safety." You may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. Wow. So they'll have the sixth year, enough for the seventh year, and then for the eighth year, as they're beginning to plant crops again, there'll be food for that year as well. So God's promise is abundance when we obey Him. In this area now this uh, call for the land to have a seventh uh, every year seventh year a Sabbath included the cancellation of all their credit card debt uh, it included uh, the freeing of slaves so anybody that had come into debt because uh, into slavery because of debt was freed from slavery anybody that had incurred debt the debt was forgiven and of course, every, every 49 years, every seven-seven years, anybody that had lost family land had their family land restored to them. It was called the year of Jubilee, a good and a beautiful year. When Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me and He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim a good and a beautiful year, the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this uh, Sabbath command comes from the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments we're all very familiar with. And I call it a hinge command because we're all familiar with the Ten Commandments. And the Sabbath kind of... many scholars see as a hinge commandment between the vertical commands and the horizontal commands. The first three commands of the Ten Commandments are about God, about loving God. The, The last six commands are about loving our neighbor. But that hinge command between loving God and loving neighbor was the Sabbath command. And in Israel's history, when they stopped obeying that Sabbath, it caused them to stop loving God, idolatry, and loving their neighbor. Injustice. Injustice and idolatry came out of a lack of obeying this command to stop. In other words... When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he was assuming you're loving yourself. You're loving God, neighbor, and self by taking on this practice of Sabbath. So it's a hinge command. Secondly, there are two premises that come with the the fourth commandment. The first one is the premise of creation. There's two places in the Old Testament where the Ten Commandments are listed. One is in Exodus chapter 20, and then they're repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But in Exodus chapter 20, God says, Remember to keep the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, or Shabbat, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And he goes on and says, neither your son or daughter, and your household, etc. But then he says this, here's the reason why. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the first reason why God says keep the Sabbath is because you are in my image. And I was not always creating and producing. I took a day where I just was able to be. I am God. And you are in my image And you are human, and to be human is to stop. To stop being a machine for a day. To stop having to produce for a day. The second premise is the premise of redemption. And in Deuteronomy, the same command is reiterated, but it goes like this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor, but then he says this. Instead of talking about creation, he says this, remember. Anybody remember that word? Remember? 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 We've been talking about that a lot lately, aren't we? We're a community of memory. So God says, don't forget the reason why you keep the Sabbath is that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord brought you out of there. Remember you were slaves, that you worked without any pay. There was no coffee break. There was no weekends. How many have ever seen that bumper sticker that says, thank the labor union for the weekend? You ever seen that? No, 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 no. Thank Exodus for the weekend. God created the weekend where you stop. And uh, you learn to be that you're not a machine, you're a person, that it's more about relating than performing. Now, In this passage, going back to our text, there's two kinds of Sabbath that God's people tend to take. The first is what I call voluntary. Voluntary Sabbath is where, next slide please, Uh, the, the first one has to do with when we're obedient, where we say, okay God, you said to do it, so I will do it. The second kind is not so fun. It's involuntary. Has anybody ever had an involuntary Sabbath? Yeah, me too. Now an involuntary Sabbath happened in Israel's time where God told uh, the Israelis in Leviticus, If you do not listen to me and you do not give the land a Sabbath, then, the, then I will scatter you among the nations and draw out my sword and pursue you and lay the land waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then listen to what he says. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years, all the time that it lies desolate, and you are in the country of your enemies. then the land will re- enjoy its rest in its Sabbaths. And this actually happened. The prophet Jeremiah and the chronicler said this, that when Israel was carried into exile into Babylon, that those who escaped from the sword became servants to the king of Babylon, then the land enjoyed its Sabbath rests. All the time of its desolation. it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. So because Israel had not kept their Sabbath years, God said, okay, while you're in exile, the land will enjoy its rest. And I have a parallel in my own story. I remember when I was about 28 years old, the Lord gave me a strong word. I was very driven, and I was traveling and preaching, and I had one of the the, the most dynamic youth groups in the nation at the time, in Calgary. And, and, And I was in demand as a speaker, and the Lord said, stop. The Lord told me to stop. And I remember clearly the scripture that he spoke to me through. He said this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. You ever heard that verse before? But it doesn't end there, does it? It goes on to say, but you said no. We will flee on horses. And guess what? That's exactly what I did. I heard God speak to me. I knew he was telling me to slow down. But guess what? I was in a religious system where I didn't know how to stop. I couldn't slow down. I didn't know how to get off. Have you ever been on one of those merry-go-rounds and it's going too fast? And you know to stay on, you're going to puke your guts out, but to, fall, to get off, you're going to bang your head, right? That's kind of how life is a lot of times. You just don't, how do I do this? How do I get off? And so the result was I had a severe, uh, as many of you have heard my story, a severe mental and emotional breakdown. And guess what? The church paid my salary for a year, and you know what my work was? Laying on a bed. That's right, sick. And actually, it was three full years of inactivity. Then the land had its rest. When you don't obey, God says, well, I'll, remember that verse in Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures? <laughs> yeah, that one's meant a lot to me through the years. So the spirit of Sabbath is this. Number one, it's being versus producing. Being versus producing. The heart of the Sabbath is where, just like Jesus when he appeared at the Jordan River and he he heard John's uh, words, this is the Lamb of God, and then he he saw the heavens open and the spirit descended and he heard a voice saying, you are my beloved son. I always love to say this. How many sick people had he healed then? No one, none. How many demons had he cast out? None. How many sermons had he preached? None. But the father's chest is popping. And he's going, you're my son. And so, I I remember when I arrived in England and the leadership of that group of churches said, "We," because I'd offered to come over there and work on my recovery time. And they said, how would you feel, with their British accent, of course, how would you feel, if you would come and just be, right? Right? And when they said that, I didn't have a clue what they meant. I didn't know how to be. I, I was a human doing, not a human being. And uh, I had to go through withdrawal, just like somebody comes off drugs. They wanted to call me Gordy, not pastor. They wanted to, me to be a brother and not have a title. I didn't know. I didn't know how to do that. It was like coming off drugs. But I so needed it. So it's about being versus producing. Secondly, it's about relating versus performing. In other words, it's about relationship. And it's not, in the first one, it's about who you are rather than what you do. The second one is about whose you are rather than what you accomplish. You are valuable because of whose you are. Because of who you're connected to. Because of who you belong to. Thirdly, it's about trust versus anxiety. It's about, it's like tithing. When, when we tithe, uh, Sabbath is, is kind of the time equivalent of tithing with money. When you tithe, you're giving God your first 10%. And it's an act of faith as, with God as your provider. You're acknowledging that you will be able to do more with the 90% because you made the first 10% available to Him than you would be able to if you kept the whole 100%. Right? It's an act of faith that the first fruits sanctifies the whole lot so that God's blessing comes upon everything. And it's the same with your time. When you give God your time, then He can do more with the sixth days. And you can do more with those six days. So it's an act of faith. And it's also leaning on the strengths of others. I remember when I was in my recovery time in Kelowna. And if you're ever going to go through a wilderness experience, I highly recommend Kelowna. It's a great place to be. But I was sitting in this uh, place at a beachfront, very sick and a lot of pain. And I'd been there a few months, three or four months, and I realized this great youth ministry in Calgary, this great church and The whole body of Christ was doing fine without me. I thought, hey, it didn't all fall apart. It's still working. And I remember the Holy Spirit saying to me, remember that. Remember that when you get back involved. That it's by invitation and it's privilege. It's not like the whole thing is hanging on you or me. It's God's invitation to come and journey with Him together. And lastly, as Eugene Peterson says, the Sabbath is about praying and playing. Eugene Peterson uh, has a wonderful chapter in his book, The Contemplative Pastor, and he talks about how that Sabbath is, it's not just a day off. Some people say, well, I need a day off. Sabbath is more than that. It's an act of worship where God is at the center of it, but we tend to be extremists. Either we're so spiritual that it's like this super spiritual day, or, or we're the opposite extreme, where it's a play day, and we forget God. And, and really, it's pray and play. It's, it's having God at the center, but enjoying Him, and enjoying His presence in whatever we do. So for me, um, it's been a day in, in, the, in my week, where I unplug Facebook, email, uh, any kind of connection, I go on Do Not Disturb, unless it's a, a significant family member, uh, Kathleen, I, I'm, I'm disconnected. And I found that that's, again, almost a little bit like withdrawal when that happens. Because we're so connected and we lose, we, we've lost track of how much smartphones have, have taken our time. Um, they, they did a study at the last evangelical denominational leaders meetings I attended in Toronto. And they said between 2003 and 2013, the meaningful involvement of evangelical Christians in their churches had dropped by 10%. That's not people leaving the church. That's not people stopping attendance or, or giving up their faith. They're still going to church, but their involvement had dropped 10%. And we asked the analyst what was the reason, and he said he didn't know, but the only explanation he could come up with was that we have lost, we, we do not take inventory of how much smartphones take our time. We're just always connected. You know? And so we can, you know, we, we can be in an f- email conversation or a Facebook conversation or a messenger conversation, and we have no idea how much that's taking away our time. So it's a good thing to, to take inventory, and for me it's really important once a week to do that. Now, for you, it may be other ways, and, and we're all in seasons of life where it's going to affect what Sabbath looked like for me when I had small preschool children is a lot different now, Now I'm an empty nester. Uh, it looks a lot different than when I was a teenager, or, or, when, or when my kids were teenagers, uh, both. Um, so there's a paradox that Scripture writes about Sabbath. And the paradox is this. Paul, the writer of Hebrews says this. There remains then, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter into that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So... There's effort required. When Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor are heavy laden. How did we find rest for our soul? He said, Come, take my yoke. The paradox is there. A yoke is something that was placed on an ox for work. But he said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there's effort. But it's not grinding work. It's not slave work. It's the hard work of making sure we Sabbath well. It's hard work to stop. In Israel's time, it was hard work to do the Sabbath. The the manna would come the day before. They would have to gather as much manna so they didn't have to do it on the Sabbath day. They had to work at it. So for me, I'm realizing that in order for me to fulfill Sabbath, I have to work at that. And sometimes it's hard work, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. Sometimes it's saying difficult no's. It's hard. But it's obedience. I I love that scripture where it says Jesus got up. And it's in the same chapter we read earlier from Mark 1. It says he got up early in the morning. You remember that? He went way out and he began to pray. And the disciples said, Jesus, Jesus, there's a revival back in town. We've got the posters up. Everybody wants to see you. And he said, what did he say? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) He wasn't going to do it. He said, I I have to go somewhere else today. I've been with my father, and, and I know all these voices are clamoring for my attention. But the father's saying, we need to go to this town today. There's other people that need to hear the gospel. So, I believe that Sabbath is important not only for individuals. I believe they're important for communities. And I believe they're important for pastors, and for us as a church, we're declaring this as a sabbatical year. It doesn't mean that I'm gone for the whole year. I'm not. I'll be here more than I'm not, unless you fire me. But uh, that's my plan right now. Um, a pastoral sabbatical is what we are proposing is a three-month period of this year. Uh, generally speaking, April, May, June, where... I'm away from the daily routine of pastoring, to think, to read, to pray. It's not that you do nothing, it's not time off. It's work, but it's a different kind of work. It's the kind of work that needs to be done for the church, for you, that I'm just not able to do in the regular routine. It has to do with vision and and future and planning and creativity and, and a lot of those things. Writing and thinking and praying. It has to do with spiritual direction. It has to do with marriage enrichment. Um, And then the plan is for a soft re-entry for the months of July and August where we're back. Still taking some vacation time, but just slowly kind of getting back into things for for September. Now, what's our rationale for a pastoral sabbatical? Number one, is is our PowerPoint not working? Can we go back? Can we go back? not working at all. I think I have some of this, I might have some of this in the bulletin. Anyway, I'll give you some rationale for pastoral sabbaticals. The first rationale that I would like to give you for pastoral sabbatical is that less than 10% of all pastors who begin as pastors will retire as pastors. Did you know that? Less than 10%. So you think about a thousand pastors who start out in ministry at the beginning of their career, at the end of their Career, 900 of them will not be pastoring. They will have left the ministry. A lot of them will have left the church. Okay, so they're not only have left ministry, but a lot of them will leave the church. 50% leave pastoral, 50% of all pastors that start out in pastoral ministry leave within the first five years. So already by five years, Uh, half of the people who started out as pastors have said, I'm out of here. The average church tenure of a pastor is usually quite short, anywhere between three years uh, to seven years as a max in terms of different denominations and averages. So I want to give a couple of observations. There's a fellow by the name of Richard Critch who did an article entitled, What is Going On With Pastors? And the reason why I say this is because the health of a pastor affects the health of a church. If a a pastor's unhealthy, a church gets unhealthy. They're they're connected. Um, And so it's really important if we're going to move forward healthily as a church that we're thinking clearly about the health of our pastors and our leaders. And this fellow wrote an article about pastoring is a dangerous occupation, probably more dangerous than army, than police, than firefighters, than 911 ambulances. And he did a survey, and he found out that 100% of all pastors that he had interviewed had a close pastoral colleague who was now out of the ministry, either due to burnout, conflict in the church, or moral failure. George Barna, a very well-known researcher on church issues, have come up with the following stat. 70% of pastors currently, right now, are so stressed that they're seriously considering leaving the ministry. Many often not only leave ministry, but they stop attending church altogether, as I said. Get this, 1,500 pastors leave each month in North America due to burnout, church conflict, or moral failure. 1,500 a month. 80% feel disqualified or discouraged. 70% are constantly fighting depression. Over 40% have had a sexual affair since they entered ministry. And often this is due to loneliness because they don't have any close friends. 50% of pastors' marriages will end in divorce. 81% said that they had no effective way to disciple or mentor their people into a deeper walk, of Christ, walk with Christ. Which, if you are conscientious, that's painful as a pastor. If you feel that what you are called to do, you're not doing, that doesn't make you feel good. Less than 30% of pastors have their own personal devotional life, and they feel inadequately fed spiritually. And all their time in the Bible is about preparing another sermon. Well, I'm happy to say that we beat those odds, that I'm not really in those statistics. Have I been on the edge? Have I been there? Yes, I have been there. Uh, I already told you my story. But as far as my journey here in Vancouver, I've been here since pastoring full-time since 1996 in this church. So already we're way higher than the odds uh, in terms of longevity. And I think some of the keys for us has been, number one, the church, this church has honored my Sabbath. I really don't feel that that the Sabbath has been violated by this church for me. And when it's done, it's always been a legitimate reason. Because sometimes it happens, right? And Jesus... You know, he conflicted with the Pharisees because they got really legalistic about the Sabbath. And uh, he said, Listen, if my father is healing somebody, then I'm gonna heal them. He said, My father's working, I will work. So there is that sense of, of true rest does not come from a day off. True rest comes from the presence of God and walking with him. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. But part of that is, of course, walking in obedience. To God's ways. I believe the church has honored and prayed for our marriage. Supported us as a couple. And as a family. When my kids went through stuff. I mean the stuff that we went through with our kids. That's bombed a lot of people out of ministry. And you guys walked with us. And you continue to walk with us. And you allow me to, throw, to show endless photographs of my grandkids. You're so patient and loving and long-suffering. Thank you. And I think, for me, I think that I've had a rich devotional life. I have a daily walk with Jesus. I spend the first two and a half hours, I was just talking to Esther, of my day with Jesus. And I've done that for years. Maybe exception of one, or one day a week or so. But usually it's the first two and a half hours of my day I just spend with God. I, I spend time in the Word. I pray. It usually starts around 5.30 in the morning. And by seven thirty, eight o'clock, I just feel pumped. I just feel full of the Spirit and ready to take on life. And, and it's nurtured me. And, and, and a lot of my teaching has come out of that. I haven't, I don't read the Scriptures so that I'll get teaching. That's ne- I just do it because I love being with God. I did it when I was out of ministry. I did it when I worked at UBC. I had to get up and get out early. I just got up early enough so that I could still do it. I just... If you want to do something, you do it. If you love somebody, you'll do it. Right? And so it's it's saved my life. Over and over and over again. And many, many pastors that have blowouts, they they lost that somewhere. They lost that intimacy with God. And I screw up, I mess up, I sin, I'm, I'm no better than anybody else, but I find that that walk with Jesus keeps bringing me back. Just keeps bringing me back. And so I highly commend it. Take his yoke upon him and learn of him. And I think another reason for longevity in this church has been, and it's been painful to pastor here in some ways because of the transience. Uh, It's a joy and a delight. I love this congregation. It's just one of the best kept secrets in the world. But people coming and going at at the percentage and the ratio that they do has been incredibly painful. But I think one of the things that's really helped was uh, uh, after about seven years, uh, the church gave us a sabbatical. And we went to Switzerland. We took six weeks. I was up on the top of the Alps. And I took a course entitled uh, a Biblical, similar to this, this course that's being offered, but it was Gordon Fee. And uh, who's the other legendary guy? Um, Bruce Waltke. And it was incredible. Here I am in the top of the Alps, and I wept for three weeks as I just heard the story, got a bird's-eye view of God's plan for the ages. And, uh, and just was replenished and restored, and we came back, and, and it was just a, a launching time for us. So here's what we're proposing. Uh, first of all, we're proposing that, as I said, a three-months-of-pastoral-paid-leave April to June 2015, to the best that we can, uh, with a soft re-entry during July-August, which includes uh, regular vacation time. In other words, they recommend that the Sabbath not be vacation, that that, it's a different kind of, of stopping. Secondly, the church goes through a series of three books by the same author, entitled, his name is James Byron Smith, entitled, The Good and the Beautiful God. From April to mid-June, The Good and Beautiful Life, mid to June and August. Of course, I'll be jumping back in that by then. And then The Good and Beautiful Community, from September to November. And uh, these are, are wonderful, wonderful resources. So part of, of my preparing for this sabbatical is preparing the church, getting a teaching order, getting a teaching curriculum. Um, I really highly recommend, if you want to get the most out of this, that you... Purchase the books. Kim's got some on for sale. We're going to be ordering some more by bulk. And we recommend that you go through them with your home groups. Uh, They're great for discussion. They're great for personal reflection and journaling. And uh, they're just wonderful for taking that yoke upon yourself. That yoke that is easy and that burden is is light. So I'll be talking more about that in the weeks to come. Um, For ourselves, Kathleen and I are looking at a trip possibly to Korea... Uh, As you know, Korea has become very special to us in the last couple of years, particularly, and we just uh, sense that we're to take some time over there. Uh, We're going to take some time for some spiritual direction, some retreats, as I said, some marriage enrichment, uh, spending some time uh, with my parents in Calgary and uh, family. And the book series, The Good and Beautiful God, can we shoot that up there? This This is just a cover of the book by James Byron Smith. So that's why we're calling it The Good and Beautiful Year. It's kind of a a summary of these three books. The Good and Beautiful God, The Good and Beautiful Life, The Good and Beautiful Community. And a lot of it is just about learning, learning practices of rest, learning to walk in God's ways and learning how to stop. In fact, his very first chapter, he's got a book about this whole area of sleep deprivation. And finally... Uh, that we learn to, uh, that we lean on the strength of, strengths of others in, in, in joining and supporting what others are already doing. I think of that big party that they did over here at Pandora Park um, uh, in the fall. For years, we worked our butts off to do a party like that. And now the neighborhood is rallying and doing these kinds of things. So it's opportunities for just to join in and to, to be a part of it without carrying the whole thing. And uh, enjoying uh, the connection, making friends, uh, and to pray and to play this year. To pray and to play together. Uh, with my grandkids in Calgary, we, were, we had the habit of, of having a story time every night. And one of the stories that I told them was the story of blind Bartimaeus and how that he was... Here's this blind beggar. He's crying out to Jesus for healing. Have mercy on me. That was his prayer. Have mercy on me. And finally Jesus stops and he says, bring him to me. And the crowd says, cheer up, the Lord's calling you. And blind Martimaeus goes up to, to Jesus and Jesus says almost an almost a outrageous thing to him. He says, what do you want? What do you want? And our lesson with the grandkids was learn to be specific and they didn't know how to quite say it right so a lot of them were saying learning to be pacific and i said yeah pacific you're moving to vancouver yes learning to be pacific but they learned and we prayed some specific prayers so on monday marcus daddy their daddy lost his keys and for 2 days his keys went missing and he oh no sorry it wasn't his keys it was his wallet with all these gift cards that he'd gotten for Christmas, and all this money, and all his ID, and, and the last time he could remember that he'd seen his, his wallet was at work at noon. I thought, that's not a good thing. I mean, if it was at home somewhere, maybe there's hope. But we all prayed pacifically uh, with our grandkids. Lord Jesus, help Daddy find his wallet. And I asked them, I said, why is it so important to be pacific about your praying? And they kind of thought, and they said... Ah, so, so, so to be able to say what you want. Yes, that's good, that's good. But there's something even more important. Is that when God answers it, you know it was an answer to prayer. It's specific, right? Well, guess what? Little Alina comes walking out of the bedroom one day. Three days later, I mean, we've pretty much given up, I have to confess. You know, even with the praying pacifically. And she comes out with Daddy's wallet. Well, we almost passed out, right? But how faith-building was it for our grandkids to specifically pray? So I feel this is a year for us to get really specific about what we're asking God for. And a defining image, uh, as I've been praying and thinking about this year, has been the slingshot. And um, the slingshot is, is where you put a rock in and you pull it back before you release the rock. And my sense is, uh, is that it, the, the next seven to ten years, God wants to launch some things. And I, and I asked the Lord. I said, well, why the slingshot? Because I've, I've often had a similar picture, and it's been more of an arrow that's been put in a bow and pulled back close to the master's heart, to his voice. And then I kind of had that picture at my last, when I had my breakdown in Calgary was the picture of an arrow where God was pulling me back close to his heart. But this time, it was a slingshot. And I said, Lord, why the slingshot? And all I heard was, are you ready for this? You still have some giants to kill. So I don't know what that means. But I believe that this next season, there's still some battles to fight and some giants to kill in this generation. And so this time of Sabbath is a time of preparing and letting God pour into us as a church to prepare to launch us into some exciting new days ahead. So in conclusion, Sabbath is an act of obedience. I, 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 I want to reiterate that I'm not burnt out, that I'm not tired. Yes, I do get tired. Of course, we all do. We're all, it's a stressful world we live in. And this is all, it's been heightened by the targeted violence and terrorism. And, you know, France is just so on edge today. You know, and, and, and all of this, the uncertainty of our times is just uh, putting stress emotionally, spiritually, in all of us. And, and so I'm not saying that there isn't stress and that I don't feel stress. Of course I do. But it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not out of crisis that we're doing this. We feel it's an act of obedience. It's an act of rest. And and we're asking you to pray into this. We're meeting as leadership over the next few weeks, uh, just to work out. Uh, Sarah is convening a sab- sabbatical preparation team of, of what does it look like for these next three months uh, to work together as a church. And And our sense was, is that if we're really intentional about this, if we really are conscientious about this, that it's going to shape our church for years to come. That it's actually going to, not it's not just going to be about me getting a rest. It's going to be about us as a church being shaped and launched in some very exciting days in the days ahead. So it's an act of obedience that acknowledges that we are not God. We are not God. Everybody say that. We are not God. Isn't that refreshing? Right? It's that it acknowledges our limits. It acknowledges that I have to stop. And it declares our confidence that God will sustain us. He'll sustain us. So as you're reflecting in your groups this week or on your own, here's some things to talk about. Discuss the quote by Eugene Peterson, a busy person is a lazy person. What did he mean by that? What he meant was, is that if you are going to be able to say no to things that you need to say no to, you have to do the hard work of putting your priorities in place. Right? It takes hard work. In the writer of Hebrews, make that effort to rest. Share how, how busyness has, has sometimes been the result of laziness in your life. I know it's been the case for me. Sometimes I just get so frazzled and busy, and I know it's because I've been lazy. Because I haven't been proactive in, in putting those boulders in, in place. Secondly, community. What are some ways that we could lean on the strength of others in this Sabbath year? What are some ways we need to make efforts in order for the sabbatical year to occur? And finally, culture. Discuss the cost of going against the culture to obey God's call to rest and to Sabbath. It's, it's against the culture. We just go, 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 right? Just, just no margins. No margins for community. No margins for connection, for relationship. And... God's just saying, are you willing to pay the price to go against the culture? And what would that be? What would, what would that take? And I think it means us helping each other. I think it means helping each other Sabbath. Really, I, think, I, I don't think we can Shabbat on our own. I can't. I need your help to do that. And we need to help one another do that. So let's, let's just, uh, I'll stop there, since we're talking about Shabbat. Shabbat? Stopping? It's good for a pastor to learn how to stop. (laughs) Amen? So we do, Lord. We just just pause to, to... One of the names of God is Yahweh Shabbat, the God of rest. And Holy Spirit, I invite you to come as we just wait and as we stop and as we rest here, just now, together. I pray for those of, the, of us that have minds that are racing, that even now we just feel this urge to check our, our email or our voicemail or our messenger or text. We felt a vibrate while the sermon was going on. What was that? Or did somebody like my post? All of these crazy, niggling things that are constantly evil. They become evil. Because we can't be present. We can't be present to you. We can't be present to one another. We can't be present to ourselves. Father, I want to thank you for this congregation and the way that they have loved us, loved me, and they've made it easy to pastor, that I'm not one of those statistics and they are a high, large reason for that. And I want to bless them. Just a humble, gentle, quiet, loving, obedient community that God is so delighted in. God is so pleased. So I bless you in the name of the Lord. I bless you to enter into a greater dimension of his rest this year. (sighs) Come, on. feel like the Lord wants us to pray for people that are suffering from insomnia, that are struggling, which is sleep deprivation, and you just short on sleep, and then when you actually can get some, you can't sleep. I want to pray for you today. I want us to pray for you. I want us to gather around you. I want us to fight for you. If there's any giant that needs to be killed, it's the giant of hurry and rush and Get 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 get. Strive. Just that lifestyle. We can't slow down. Uh, That's again why I love our international students. They force me to slow down. Just their, their English. I find there's something about me that just doesn't want to slow down. And yet when I, because I love them, I will slow down. Something happens in me, again and again and again. Happened with Jae Young, our new international student, yesterday. Beautiful young guy we want you to meet. Mornings are a bit difficult for him. Child forces us to slow down. Yeah? Children. Yeah, Gordy, they make me speed up. I know. I know. I know there's that part of it, too. But being present to them. Being present. Yeah? So I'd like to pray for people that are suffering from insomnia. I also feel like I want to pray for people who are suffering stress-related disorders. It might be depression. Uh, I feel someone is here suffering stomach disorders, and it's directly related to stress. Directly related to stress. So if, if, does that speak to anybody? Just raise your hand. Just, could, could I, I know this is, could I get you guys to come forward today? I, I don't usually do this, but I just feel like we're to gather around you just to pray over you, to surround you. Maybe just, just face me, face put a, just do a line here right at the front, just kind of line this way. Just, I'm doing that for a reason. Just kind of form a line right across the front here if you could. That would be great. And my sense is I'm, that some of us are to come and stand with these people. So I'd like just others that are still seated, if you could just come and stand behind them. And I just, the picture I had in prayer today was of the Roman wall. Remember in, in Ephesians where Paul said, having done all to stand? And it's a picture of the Roman wall where the soldiers would put their shield right next to each other. And I feel we're just to surround these guys like a shield. You know, I pray for you every week. I pray for you by name. If you're part of this congregation, I lift you up before God. And one of the things I pray for you is that the Lord's favor would surround you as a shield. That His favor would surround you as a shield. And so I I want to speak that over you right now. That His favor surrounds you as a shield your rear guard but we're your rear guard too we're your covering we got your back we've got your back and I want to break off isolation in the name of Jesus just the sense that I'm alone in this that, that somehow it's all up to me I break that off I break off isolation I, I love that little saying and it sounds so trite but it just says joys sorrow shared half the sorrow joys shared twice the joy And Lord, I just right now break off, talk about a giant. That's just another thing I want to throw that slingshot at, is that giant of isolation in the name of Jesus. And it starts often with pastors, isolated and lonely, but it it spreads through congregations. I just speak community, I speak connection, I speak life, belonging. Holy Spirit, would you just come right now? Just come. And who's, who's here suffering from insomnia? Just raise your hand. Wow, quite a few. So if, if somebody's... Ra- keep your hand up for a sec. If somebody's raising your hand, can you just put your... Is that okay? Can we just put our hand gently on your shoulder? Just, just make sure everybody that's got their hand up has a hand on their shoulder. And I just... I feel heat coming through my hand right now, so I'm just gonna... I'm gonna just pass that on right now in the name of Jesus. Often when heat comes it's a sign of healing virtue the presence of God some of you probably are feeling that heat as well just go ahead and just minister physiologically we just speak reversal to this insomnia we rebuke it in the name of Jesus it says in Psalm chapter 127 he gives his beloved rest he gives his beloved sleep and so father in Jesus name we release peace shalom Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You are loved eternally and unconditionally. He is crazy about you. He is just crazy about you. You are a joy and a delight to your Father. He will carry you. You will rest in His love. You will rest in His love. Just let it come, Lord. Just let it come. Just bless you to rest. Bless you to... Just like when you go to sleep, you have to surrender, don't you? When, you? when you go to sleep, you have to let it go. Richard Foster used to talk about imagining that you're just sinking down through your, your bed, going down, 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 just sinking. You're letting yourself go. It's an act of surrender. an act of obedience so I bless you with the power of the Holy Spirit and how many of you are suffering from just that stress related disorder just a couple here here okay so in Jesus name again Lord I pray that that healing touch would come a lot of the same people we just pray Lord and often they are related aren't they depression is related to insomnia we just break it off Lord Lord The spirit of the Lord is upon us and he's anointed us to declare a good and a beautiful year. To to give for the spirit of heaviness the garment of praise. The oil of joy for mourning. We release the oil of joy for mourning, Father. Come, Lord. We just release the spirit of encouragement, the spirit of, of liberty, the spirit of freedom. Just come, Lord come Lord come and surprise us with little little surprises of joy Lord let it come just bless the artist in you Jerry just bless the artist and command it to come forth the artist creativity in the mighty name of Jesus like David David won his battles by just singing and singing playing and creating. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come? Would you come, Lord? Bless the artist in way, the creativity, Lord. Bless the craziness. Lord, just the out of the box that is who you are, Lord. We bless that. Come, Holy Spirit. Gentle Savior. Mercies, come, on. come, Lord. Lord, we just speak to abdominal pain, Lord. There's these stomach uh, issues related to stress. Go in Jesus' name. Exodus 15. I will take sickness from the midst of you. Yes, Lord. And Lord, just for the chronic battles that we're fighting in this church, I pray for breakthrough physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually this year. In this good and beautiful year, Lord, I'm asking you specifically. Lord, I ask you for Rose, Lord, as she goes into this uh, physio for her neck, that this will be effective, Lord, that your healing grace would flow through her and that strength would come to her neck and restoration, Lord, to her, 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 the, the head injury, God. For breakthrough, God. We pray for breakthrough this year. We're being specific, Lord, because we want to know when you've answered that it was you. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Does anybody have any word that the Lord's given you? I've done a lot of the talking here. Kind of hogged the whole show. Anybody have anything you just sense the Lord? Wanting to pass on even an amen or something? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it takes boldness to be specific, doesn't it? It's it's easier to say, Lord, have mercy on me. But when you get specific... Come, Lord. Well, were you going to say something, Lynn, or are you just singing? Are you singing? Yeah. So I I know we need to get our kids. So I want to bless you, and if 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 you are able to, it'd be good for you to just continue to soak and just while we worship. Maybe if you have children to get, just go and get them and bring them back. And, uh, unless you've agreed to something with, with workers. But, but may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May he turn to you and lift his countenance upon you and give you his shield. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you.